In June of 1938, Action Comics No. 1 was published and Superman flew out of the pages of the comic books and into the hearts of fans and the mainstream alike. 84 years later, Superman continues to be one of the most popular and influential superheroes ever created. In honor of National Superman Day, we'll discuss his origin story, his creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, the impact of Superman in pop culture, and why Jerry Siegel put a curse on the 1978 Superman movie. Next, on Technically a Conversation. you're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? Doing pretty fabulous. How are you doing? Doing good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, especially considering the stuff that's happened this week with the uh, mass shooting. It's so sad. We're, it's not the norm. It should never be the norm. It's so awful. I I feel like I just am repeating myself. It's Groundhog's Day. And I keep thinking, okay, maybe now a politician will do something. Yeah, it's rough. I was listening to an episode of the Daily Zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And they actually ended up calling out Greg Abbott because he was saying, oh, well, look at Chicago. They have some of the strictest gun laws and look at how much violence they have. And number one, they're not one of the most violent cities, like he had said. And number two... Most of the guns that they have there are smuggled in from Indiana, which has some of the most lax gun laws. So it's one of those type of things where unless they do something on a national level, it's never going to get better. Yeah. I just think that NRA has too much power, really. Yeah, that is true, sadly. Yeah. On a lighter note, quick reminder about our contest before we get started. If you enjoy our show, take two minutes to leave us a review. What should they do again, Isela? Take a quick moment. Send us a favorable review and take a quick screenshot and you are entered. That's right. And we're at Greetings TAC on all the socials. Once you send us your review, we'll read it on the show and then we'll do a drawing to give the winner a sexy, technically a conversation t-shirt. It's been a while since we've had a review, so I think we need a little bit of love. Yeah. we got crickets, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So again, check out technicallyaconversation.com for all the deets or just check the show notes. To those of you that have already left us a review, thank you. And thank you for listening. Quick shout outs to the queens, Elena and Erica, <laughs> the Duke, Stephen B, Dukester, Eli, Cover Your Eyes podcast, and the Contra Zoom pod podcast. <laughs> thank you for sharing our posts on your social media. Thank you guys so much. It always helps. With all that business out of the way, ready to get started? We are ready. Great. Let's get started. <laughs> so Isela, do you have any superpowers? Well, if you could count sneaking farts and not letting anybody know a superpower, <laughs> <laughs> I am your girl for that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't think so that I know of, sadly. <laughs> do you have a secret identity? Mm, well, that would give it away, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. True. You might want to keep that on DL. Right. Were you sent to Earth on a spaceship when your planet exploded 
making you the only surviving member of your species. This already is super intriguing. No, but I wish I would be. Tell me. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, today we're going to talk about a character who meets all this criteria. On the doomed planet of Krypton, scientists Jor-El and Laura Vanel place their only son, Kal-El, on a rocket towards Earth in an effort to save their son from their extinction. Earth was chosen as the people look similar enough to Kryptonians to where he wouldn't stand out and be an outcast. His rocket landed in Smallville, Kansas, where he was found and adopted by Jonathan and Martha Kent and was named Clark Joseph Kent. The radiation from Earth's yellow sun gave his cells energy and allowed him to do things no human can do. He has the ability to fly, super hearing, super speed, x-ray and heat vision, freeze breath, and accelerated healing. As Kal-El and his powers matured, so did the legend of the last son of Krypton, the Man of Steel, the Superman, Earth's greatest defender. Now, in honor of June 12th, which is National Superman Day, I'm super excited to be covering one of my favorite and most loved superheroes and fictional characters of all time. Much like our Wonder Woman episode, I want to talk about the history of the character and his origin story and won't focus too much on storylines, but we will definitely talk about his death and his impact on pop culture. With a character that's been around for decades, his story and mythology has been modified, expanded, and evolved. So I'll try to stick with what's currently canon for the character. And like all of our episodes, all our sources will be in the show notes. So I have a question for you, Isela. Would you like to take a guess as to when the world was first introduced to the Superman? Hint, this is a technically a conversation episode one question, as I mentioned it on that show. Oh my gosh, that was so long ago. <laughs> Almost a year now. Almost a year ago. Oh, geez, Louise. I don't remember, so I'm just going to take a stab at it. I'm going to say like 1931 or something. <laughs> You're very close. Oh. Superman first appeared in Action Comics number one in June of 1938. Oh, wow. And was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Now, according to a History.com article titled Eight Things You Might Not Know About Superman by Jesse Greenspan, before Action Comics No. 1, Jerry Siegel self-published a story in 1933 called The Reign of the Superman, which featured a mad scientist who picks a vagrant out of a breadline and gives him telepathic powers. This Superman then kills the mad scientist and begins taking over the world until his powers wear off and becomes a regular person once again. Kind of strange, right, that Superman originally started out as a villain? Yeah, he started out like super dark. (laughs) Wow. It wasn't until Siegel's friend Joe Schuster was illustrating the story that he revamped his backstory and made him an alien who is a hero with a secret identity and cape. According to the YouTube video Evolution of Superman, 83 Years Explained, Siegel agreed that it would make the character infinitely more commercial and had more chance at longevity. Siegel and Schuster shopped the comic strip to every newspaper syndicate they could think of, but all of them declined. (gasps) With each rejection, they iterated a little bit on the character, but still no newspaper would carry it. Oh, sad. Siegel thought that perhaps they needed more seasoned and well-known illustrators to draw the comic. This naturally didn't sit well with Schuster, so he stepped away from the project. Even with the new artist Siegel commissioned to work on the comic, the newspapers still wouldn't carry it. So Siegel continued to iterate and took inspiration from Tarzan and John Carter of Mars, two popular pulp magazines at the time, 
as well as mythological and biblical figures, making Superman an almost godlike being. The inspiration for Superman's strength was taken from Popeye, but Siegel wanted to play him straight instead of comedic. Ah, oh, that's funny. That's really strange, huh? That's really cool. <laughs> the influence for Superman's secret identity was taken from Zorro, the alter ego of Don Diego de la Vega, except that the role would be reversed. Superman is the identity. Clark Kent is the alter ego. The alter ego's name was an amalgamation of actors Clark Gable and Kent Taylor. Siegel based the character on himself as he had aspirations of being an ambitious reporter. Lois Lane, Superman's love interest, was inspired by 1930s fictional reporter and film character Torchy Blaine, who was played by an actress named Lola Lane. <laughs> Siegel went back to Schuster and showed him all the ideas he had come up with. Schuster was on board with all these changes and decided to collaborate with Siegel once more. Schuster was a fan of the old-timey strongmen of their era and took inspiration for Superman's costume from the tight-fitting athletic gear popular at the time, complete with the emblem in the middle of the chest to make him instantly recognizable. Siegel and Schuster created four weeks' worth of comic strips and tried shopping them around, but again, they were unsuccessful. How sad. None of the newspapers wanted it. In 1935, Siegel and Schuster started doing freelance work for National Comics, which is now DC Comics. They inked and wrote several comics and even tested some of their ideas for Superman in a comic named Slam Bradley, which they were tasked with writing for in a recurring strip in Detective Comics. When they learned that National Comics would be coming out with a fourth comic book named Action Comics in June of 1938, they wrote a 13-page story of Superman's origin story and was approved for publication in Action Comics number one. Oh, nice. So they finally made it, right? Yeah, that's awesome. On the cover was a drawing Schuster had made of Superman, and it became an instant hit. Superman headlined every issue of Action Comics. It was picked up by the newspaper syndicate in January of 1939 and was being published in newspapers daily. It began being printed in color on Sundays in November of 1939 and was published in close to 400 newspapers and had a readership of over 20 million people. Wow! After only one year, Superman number 1 came out in June of 1939 and was the first comic book dedicated solely to one single character. <laughs> It quickly sold more than 1 million copies. Superman had become a phenomenon. Marketing and promotional merchandise was through the roof. A Superman float flew in Macy's 1939 Thanksgiving Day Parade. Oh, that's so cool! Actors were hired to play Superman at events such as a World's Fair, and it inspired a whole slew of superhero comics. National Comics came out with The Batman in Detective Comics number 27 in May of 1939. Wonder Woman debuted in All-Star Comics number 8 in December of 1941. Shazam, or Captain Marvel as he was known back then, hmm. came out in Wiz Comics number 2 in February of 1940. And Marvel Comics, then known as Timely Comics, debuted The Human Torch in October of 1939 and Captain America in March of 1940. So you would think after all of this, Siegel and Schuster would be rich, right? They surely walked out of National Comics holding as many bags of money as they could carry. <laughs> One would hope. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about how much they were paid and the curse that Siegel placed on the Superman 78 movie. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> 
Did you know there was a Doctor Strange movie in 1978? Or that Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage almost made a Superman movie in the mid-90s? On Superhero Cinephiles, we take you on a journey into the world of superhero films, including the acclaimed, the infamous, and the obscure. And you might just be surprised at some of our takes, because here, we want to talk about the things we love, not the things we hate. Listen to Superhero Cinephiles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. Curiosity is a main thread that's led me to where I am today. If I ever had a plan A, I've long since forgotten what it was. <laughs> I don't think that's plan A for anybody. That was what sparked my drive to go into this space. Where does that curiosity go would be what I'd like to explore. I'm Daniel Pointer. On Still Curious, I talk to guests from many worlds and walks of life about what lights them up, the ways they like to learn, and how they navigate the sometimes surprising situations they end up in through following their interests. What do people who are still curious have in common? and what can we learn from their stories that will inspire us on our own path. That excitement of going, oh my god, that connects. <gasps> That's so super cool. I started developing skills to cater to my own needs. It became a means to an end, solving all of my curious questions. Going through your life where everything has a kind of preciousness and mystery. Curious, creative, excited. That's what you want. What you don't want is people who just want to tick boxes. Still curious. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. How was your break, Isela? It was good. I always like to hear our new sponsors. Yeah, these are really exciting new sponsors. So everybody check them out. They both sound like really great podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Their voices sound really, like I could definitely listen to them for a while. That sounds cool. I'm excited. Were you inspired to write your own superhero comic during the break? I wish I was that creative. <laughs> Did you place any curses on any movies? On movies? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm curious to hear what this next half is going to be about, whatever this 1978 thing is. I know we went a little deep with the comic stuff. Did I lose you? No, not at all. It was a very interesting story, and I'm glad that they persevered and kept trying and kept trying. I think that's a good story for a lot of people to hear, that you don't just drop everything the first time you hear a no, or the second time you hear a no. Yeah, definitely is inspirational. Keep following your dream, keep trying. Yeah, follow your passion. Exactly. So just to recap, Superman is going gangbusters, as the kids of the 1930s would say. National Comics is not only printing comic books, they're literally printing money at this point. Superman is in comics, newspapers, radio shows, Thanksgiving Day parades, the World's Fair. People can't get enough of him. In 1941, the Superman cartoon debuted. In 1948, he landed on the big screen in a 15-part film serial playing before movies. Whoa. In this adaptation, Superman was played by Kirk Allen, and it became the most profitable serial in film history and spawned another 15-part serial in 1950. In 1951, the first Superman movie called Superman and the Mole Men debuted with George Reeves playing the Man of Steel. This led to a series called The Adventures of Superman in 1952, when George Reeves reprised the titular role and ran until 1958, when George Reeves died. <gasps> and there's actually a big mystery surrounding his death, as it's still unknown whether he was murdered or he took his own life. Oh, no. Yeah, apparently there were no fingerprints on the gun. None from him or anybody else. 
That doesn't make sense. That's why it's a mystery. Did he die with gloves on? That I don't know. Mm, very weird. Prior to his death, Reeves was everywhere. There was merchandise up the asshole. Reeves was in commercials. He even played Superman on an episode of I Love Lucy. Now, with all of this in mind, would you like to take a guess, a gander, if you will, <laughs> at how much Siegel and Schuster were paid by National Comics for the rights to Superman? Oh, God. But this is like in 19... Like 50s money? No, no, not even. That was in 1938. Oh, 1938. Okay. Um, um, I don't know. Hopefully at least $1,000. What? They were paid $130 or $2,665 in 2022 money. <gasps> That's nothing. And that was a one-time payment too. No royalties, no nothing. Oh my God. They got totally screwed. Can you believe that? It's fucking criminal. It's that. But, oh, man. I, they must have not had anybody really advocating for them or at least explaining to them, like, you could really get a lot more money. The hell? Hold out. I think they just didn't have confidence in themselves just based on how many times they were rejected. I think at that point, they were just happy that anything was published. And I don't think that anybody ever really could have anticipated what a phenomenon Superman ended up becoming. Wow. In 1947, Siegel and Schuster were fired after filing a lawsuit against National Comics. Now, Siegel would return to National Comics in 1959, but would leave again in 1965 when he filed another unsuccessful lawsuit against the company. It wasn't until the 1970s when production started for the Superman 78 movie that Siegel and Schuster would finally receive a pension and National Comics, now going by the name of DC Comics, finally started crediting them for their work. So quick question, were the lawsuits about getting credit or more money or what was, what were they about? It was for both to get more money because I mean, honestly, getting paid $130 for something that's making billions of dollars, it's not fair. Agreed. And also their names weren't being, you know, when, when you create the comics, it didn't say created by Siegel and Schuster. Man. They also wanted to receive some credit for that. Yeah, as they should. It wasn't until the 1970s when production started for the Superman 78 movie that they were finally receiving a pension and they were being credited for their work. But this wasn't out of the kindness of their hearts. Siegel put a curse on the movie as part of the public relations campaign that began around the time publicity for the movie started. So this really made DC look really bad because Siegel was talking about how sh him and Schuster weren't getting any type of credit. They weren't getting paid. So there was a big campaign that started for them to get something. And um, that's when DC agreed to finally pay Siegel and Schuster $20,000 a year, a sum that later went up. Now, that actually wasn't that bad. That was about $88,684 in today's money. Mm -hmm. I would be more than content personally making that much a year. But keep in mind, they invented Superman, which is a multi-billion dollar franchise and brand. So as I alluded to before, Superman returned to the big screen in 1978, this time played by the charming and charismatic Christopher Reeve. With a budget of $55 million or $244 million in today's money, it was the most expensive movie in history. Wow. Upon its release, the movie immediately broke all box office records and made $300 million worldwide or $1.3 billion in 2022 money. Jeez Louise, that's... A ton. It's insane, right? Yes. It was the highest grossing movie of the year 
and became the sixth highest grossing movie of all time. Now, sadly, it's now the 75th highest grossing movie when adjusted for inflation. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, Superman's popularity began to dwindle. In part, Superman had become so overpowered, or OPAF, as the kids say, <laughs> that writers struggled to write compelling stories for him. Batman had now become the coolest and most popular superhero, in large part due to Tim Burton's Batman 89 movie. John Byrne was brought in to try and save the character in 1986 by making him a darker, grittier, more grounded character. And Superman's popularity increased briefly during his run. After Byrne left DC, writers once again struggled to write compelling stories for the character. The writers started resorting to gimmicks like Clark's wedding to Lois Lane and the death of Superman, which ran from 1992 to 1993, in which Superman is killed by the ancient Kryptonian deformity Doomsday. Oh. The death of Superman gimmick did pay off, however, and the event became another cultural phenomenon. I remember hearing about this on the news, which I thought was insane to hear something about comic books on the news at that time. Right. The final issue went on to sell 3 million copies in only three weeks. It was one of the darkest DC stories to date, and he remained dead for seven months before resurrecting in the comics and resurrecting his popularity. Well, good job. Wow. That worked. Yeah. So Superman was back on the small screen. This time, Dean Cain played Superman in 1993's popular Lois and Clark TV show, which took inspiration from the more grounded John Byrne mythology. Sadly, as the season progressed, the show started getting silly and campy and was canceled after season four. In 1996, Superman started appearing in animation again in both his own live-action cartoon and various Justice League spinoffs. In 2001, Smallville, a new series based on the Superboy comics, premiered and starred the charismatic and delightful Tom Welling as Clark Kent, the beautiful and captivating Kristen Crook as Lana Lang, and the brilliant and talented Michael Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor, and introduced the characters and mythology to a teenage audience. I'm not going to lie, I fucking love Smallville. Yeah. And so did audiences, as it ran for 10 years. Oh my goodness. Smallville had a no tights, no flights policy, as they didn't want the focus to be on Superman. They wanted it to be on Clark Kent, so he didn't don the costume until the final episode. The series mainly focused on Clark and his coming-of-age story and how he grappled with his secret and balanced it with his desire to help people. An animated spin-off is rumored to be in the works in which the original cast will reprise their roles, with the exception of Allison Mack, for obvious reasons. Nexium, anyone? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the popularity of Smallville spawned the Arrowverse in 2012, and Melissa Benoist as Supergirl joined this expanded universe in 2015. In season two of Supergirl, Tyler Hecklin was introduced as the Arrowverse Superman, and the series Superman and Lois was spun out of Supergirl in 2021. Tom Welling and Erica Durance reprised their roles as Smallville, Clark Kent, and Lois Lane in 2019's DC crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Earths. <laughs> it also saw Brandon Routh reprise his role as Superman for the first time since 2006 Superman Returns in an older Kingdom Come-inspired version of Superman. Now, Brandon Routh was originally seen as a successor to Christopher Reeves, and I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but he literally plays Christopher Reeves as Clark Kent and as Superman in that movie. Oh, that's so neat. No, I didn't. I did not get to see that. I think it's a great movie. And 
While the movie generally was well received by critics, it just didn't resonate with fans the way that DC was hoping it would, and plans for a sequel were abandoned. Now, having Routh reprise his role as Superman in Crisis was seen as Routh's opportunity to redeem himself, and this time it hit just right. The fans pretty much lost their minds, myself included. <laughs> And his performance was generally well-received. Oh, that's awesome. 2013 saw the return of Superman to the big screen in Zack Snyder's brilliant cinematic masterpiece, Man of Steel, with Henry Cavill playing the title role in what is probably the best casting choice ever for a comic book character. He looks the part, he talks the part, and acts the part. It's hard to imagine another character being a better fit. I do agree. I think they did a really good job with that. It's hard for me to imagine anybody else as Superman now. Yeah, I agree. I used to really love Christopher Reeves, but after I saw Henry in it, I was like, oh my God, like he's, yeah, he, he even seemed like his regular, like he was not even acting, it felt like. I don't know if that's just a true testament to his acting skills or if maybe that's kind of how closely he resembles like the Clark Kent actual personality or what it was, but... Yeah, I really thought he did a phenomenal job. I like the way you put it that it didn't even it didn't even look like he was acting. Like it looked like it was just him being natural. Right. <laughs> now the great thing about this movie is that it's a darker, grittier, more down-to-earth version than we've ever seen before. The movie totally deconstructs the character and humanizes him in a way no other version has, except for maybe Smallville. He doesn't just emerge from the Fortress of Solitude one day as Superman. It's a constant evolution. He's aware of his powers and is conflicted by his adoptive father, Jonathan Kent, who discourages him from using them for fear of how people would react if his secret is found out. And his biological father, Jorel, who challenges him to constantly test his powers, push his limits, be the best of both worlds, his adoptive Earth and his home planet of Krypton. He learns that his actions have consequences which later become evident in Zack Snyder's 2016 epic Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which is my personal favorite film of all time. I know it's very controversial. There's a lot of haters. Right. But I'm not a afraid of saying it. It's my favorite movie of all time. It was a really good film. I liked it. And uh, what's great in this movie is that you kind of get a payoff from the way that Jonathan Kent felt in Man of Steel. We get a glimpse at how people did react knowing an alien was among them in that scene of the xenophobic protesters at the White House, in a way proving that Jonathan Kent's fears were warranted. And we see that in our own country, how those of us of color are treated and perceived. So I don't blame Jonathan Kent for having that fear. And I applaud Snyder for making that social commentary. Yeah. Not only does Batman v Superman show the Trinity on the big screen for the first time with Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman and Ben Affleck as Batman, it's inspired by Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns and the death of Superman storyline. Superman's death at the hands of Doomsday comes in the penultimate act of the film, with the final act being how his death affected those closest to him, as well as how the world mourned him. 2021's Zack Snyder's Justice League shows how the world continues to cope without him and his eventual resurrection. 2021's Supergirl spin-off, Superman and Lois, takes the same darker, grittier, and more down-to-earth approach that started with Man of Steel. But in this version, Superman and Lois are middle-aged and trying to raise a family. You see the struggle with Superman trying to save the world and trying to be a good husband and dad, and Lois starting her career over after leaving the Daily Planet and trying to be a good wife and mother. 
It's such a great show and not only shows their flaws and their humanity, but also their ability to overcome obstacles and solve problems. It's more true to life. It definitely is. Even though it's someone with superpowers, but I mean, that's what you want to see, right? It's not that you want to see people fail. You just want to see warts and all is what they say, right? Want to see how there was missteps, but how they recovered and everybody's juggling too many things or whatever it is. And you're like, even Superman is having a hard time and it makes you feel good. (laughs) And it definitely does do a lot to humanize them because I know that a lot of writers do have problems writing Superman because he's so overpowered. It was hard to give him interesting stories. So yeah, by humanizing him and showing that sometimes the biggest adversary is not some supervillain. Sometimes it's themselves or it's other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it does a lot to to humanize. Agreed. And that was about as brief as I could make the um, <laughs> the history of Superman. You covered a lot. I had no idea that whole first half. I don't think I knew all of that stuff. That's so interesting. I did not know. I didn't even know he had a middle name, Joseph. What? That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I think I first found that out in Batman v Superman when they show his tombstone and it says Clark Joseph Kent. Ah, interesting. Yeah, see? And you that's so recent. <laughs> now in his 84-year history, Superman has appeared in thousands of comics and has sold more issues than any other superhero in history. He has also been portrayed more times than any other character, both on the big screen and small screen. And thankfully, with no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Very cool. So I know that you're not as big of a nerd as I am. (laughs) And again, I I did try to condense this information as much as possible. Right. Was there anything that came as a surprise to you? Oh my God, like most of it. I I think the most impactful part was where you mentioned that they, well, one, it took them so long to pick up the story, which was really sad. Some like newspaper to actually pick it up, which was a little bit, of a bummer because you would think escapism is really what people wanted, especially coming from the heels of, you know, the stock market crash um, right after, you know, the depression, like all those things. You would want a cool storyline to just get you out of reality. Um, so I don't know. That's, that part was really surprising. And then it was it was even sadder to hear that they didn't they got paid like free and peanuts. Yeah, that part was the most sad for me. Yeah, that's, oh my goodness, that's, but it goes to show how you have to stand up for yourself and you do have to believe in your own product, whatever it is, especially as hard as they fought to put together, you know, whatever this like 10 page story or whatever, they were like doing all these things. I would imagine they did have conviction. They did want to, you know, make this into a big thing. And not just like, okay, throw us some money and we'll take it. I don't know. Poor things. <laughs> makes me makes me sad a little bit. But I'm glad they eventually got some money. Yeah. And they finally got the recognition that they always wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got the credit at least. Of all the versions of Superman, who has been your favorite? Or do you have a favorite? Henry was my, is my first favorite. Um, but like I said, the first one for a long time was Christopher Reeves. But also, I I don't know, again, if that has to do with like nostalgia. And that was like the first time, you know, I was really getting into movies and, um, you know, just the idea of him 
baking a souffle with his eyes. I don't know if you remember that part. I thought that was so fascinating. Again, it, it captured my imagination when I was that young. So I really loved Christopher Reeves. And then, um, and I did see like the Dean guy. He was a good looking man or whatever, but I don't know if it did. I never really watched the the show. So I don't know if it was that captivating or at least captivating enough for me to watch and tune in. So when I saw Henry in it, he was just incredible. He looked so much like him. He just really embodied that kind of quiet, but very intelligent person that like Clark Kent was. And what a beautiful backstory that that was a reason why he made him a, a journalist was because he always wanted to be that like now a part of him gets to live on forever in that dream that he always wanted to. Yeah, I thought that was a very sweet part of the story as well. I didn't know that either, that he modeled him after himself. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Mine are definitely Henry Cavill, Tom Welling, and Tyler Hecklin. You know what's super cool about Henry Cavill? I have to share this story with you. Do share. I always knew he was a huge nerd. I mean, he built a PC during lockdown, for God's sake. He did. I didn't know that. Shoot. Yeah. I know because I watched the video of him building it. So I don't know if that makes me an even bigger nerd. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but I was listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast, one of our sponsors, and they were talking about the movie Man of Steel. And um, the thing that caught my attention is that they were talking about when they told Cavill, hey, you got a shirtless scene coming up, buddy. Let's get your chest waxed up. So you can look super cute on film. Cavill was like, nah, yo, I'm not waxing my chest. And John Byrne's Superman run, Superman has a hairy chest. Well, how can you not love Henry Cavill? This dude is citing scripture back to the yeah. film production team. <laughs> That's really cool. Good for him. I thought that was super cool and just made me admire him and, um, you know, like him even more, you know. Yeah, you have a, a newfound respect for him, for sure. <laughs> There was somebody else who I want to say that it's Tom Ellis that also said that towards the end, he wasn't going to be waxing and he was going to go more like, you know, just very au naturel. I don't remember if it was him now, but it, it was another superhero also. And I was like, all right, good for them. I mean, women are starting to not shave their armpits. Like, what's wrong with that? Go ahead. If we can do that, then <laughs> you guys don't have to be like smooth like seals either or dolphins. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess as long as the person feels comfortable with themselves. Or the director, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, the director is cool with it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it was a good episode. I really liked it. I'm glad you liked it. But the fun's not done yet, girl. Uh-oh, watch out. Got another fun fact about Henry Cavill. Oh. Henry Cavill's dog, his name is Cal, short for Cal-El. <gasps> oh, that's really sweet. But you know what? It changed his life. So... I can see why, you know, he feels like he owes a lot to, to, to Cal Allen or whatever his name is. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. He's on everything now. Oh, that's really cute. Um, I have a few more fun facts. I know this is kind of a longer episode, but would you like to hear them? Yeah, of course. So Action Comics number one sold for $3.2 at auction in 2014. It's now the single most valuable comic book of all time. For paper? I mean, I don't want to diminish it to... But it's... It was the NFT of the comic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, it was the actual comic book. 
<laughs> wow. $3.2 million? Mm-hmm. Wow. I had no idea there was that much money in this in these comics. Actually, just this past Saturday, there was an auction for Detective Comics number 27. That was the first appearance of Batman. And they thought that for sure it would sell for more than that. And it only sold for $1.7 million. Oh, my. The pocket change, right? Jesus. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm thinking about like Jackie Robinson's cap, a baseball cap that you could wear, even though you'd be crazy if you did. His sold for, I want to say it was 591000 Like, why isn't it getting more money than that? What the hell? Oh, wow. That's insane. I guess, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's us nerds, our love of the fandom. Yes, for sure. Runs very, very deep. <laughs> deep like your pockets. <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, my pockets aren't very deep. I don't think I'll ever make $1.7 in my whole entire life of working. So. <laughs> I know, sadly. I'm in that boat, too, don't worry. Even adjusted for inflation in, like, the year 3000, <laughs> I don't think it would still add up to $1.7 So I know, yeah. Kryptonite as Superman's weakness, was introduced by the Superman radio show in 1943 as a way to give Bud Collier, the voice actor who played both Clark Kent and Superman, a vacation. This allowed Superman to be sick and his voice to disappear without interrupting the radio show, which ran daily. Kryptonite didn't appear in the comics until 1949, six years later. Wow. I didn't even realize that that was not part of his like spiel from the beginning. I don't think I knew that either, but I mean, I've also haven't read most of the comics that came out in the thirties or forties. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, I mean, but that makes sense. He's like, dudes, I can't do this. I'm playing two characters every day. You got to take me out, yo. <laughs> Superman didn't gain the ability to fly until 1941 when the comic was adapted to a cartoon by Max Fleischer and Paramount Pictures. Before this, Superman only had the ability to leap, but Fleischer thought that Superman being able to fly would be more exciting to animate. DC agreed and gave them their blessing. The Fleischer Studios were also the animators responsible for the Popeye cartoon. Oh, that's so neat. Yeah, it's almost at a 360. Yeah, because he started out with the, right with the inspiration of his strength. Yeah, and now the same studio was doing the Superman cartoon. That's really neat. And I think there was even a storyline in Popeye where Pluto was dressed as Superman. So now they were influencing <laughs> their influence. Oh, that is so interesting. <laughs> that is so cool. The Superman from the Fleischer cartoons, also voiced by Bud Collier. So I guess they needed a lot more kryptonite so he could take more vacation. This poor guy. Yeah, he was working a ton. <laughs> it's what you call job security. Yeah. In 1944, Superman's backstory was further expanded in Superboy, which appeared in More Fun Comics number 101. Superboy was so popular that it was spun off as its own comic book in 1949 and introduced us to Smallville and Clark's teen love interest, Lana Lang. And as I mentioned earlier, it was also the inspiration for the Smallville TV show. Mm. Now, what kind of TV show would a comic based on your life inspire, Isela? I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's just some kind of weird ass bilingual girl who learned how to 
roller skate? Essentially, code switch. No, <laughs> I said code switch going to school. Really, I don't. I think that's not necessarily too far off from a lot of other people's. You know, can't be like I'm the only one who I don't know can fly. I don't. I I don't know. I don't. I think mine would be rather boring. I think we all kind of tend to be our our own worst critics. This is very true. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And on that high note, <laughs> we hope that you enjoy the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Mm-hmm. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC, email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a story to share with us. <laughs>